Welcome to this episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. I am your host, Olga Peters, and I would like to welcome you to this show where we will be talking land use, agriculture, and even consumption. Who knew we could get all that into the same topic? I want to welcome our guest and our contributor, our regular contributor, Emily Kornheiser. Hello, Emily. Hi, Olga. And our guest, Roger Elby. How are you, Roger Elby? Good, Olga. Glad you could make it with us today. And if you're new to the show, we talk about how things in Montpelier shake out for Wyndham County. And Emily, will you remind folks what kind of our quote-unquote off-session conversations have been about. Our quote-unquote off-session journey. We don't like to say off-session because there's a lot of work to do right now still, such as this amazing radio show. (laughs) And what we've been talking about is trying to take a step back, understand what are some of the stories we tell ourselves or some of the assumptions we make, what are some of the factors that contribute to why we focus on the legislation we do, why we have the policies that we have. So then when we jump back in in January and bills are flying off the wall and we're talking about them fast, we can reference back to the first month that we spent on public participation, the next month that we spent on legislating morality, the incredible time we spent talking about economic development, revenue, and taxes. And now we are about to start our last unit of this off-session conversation, which is on land use and infrastructure. Thank you, Emily. And we are going to remind folks at this point that the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and the guests, not the radio station. Do we all nod? Sounds wonderful. (laughs) Exactly. So, Roger, I think a lot of people may remember your work as the CEO at Grace Cottage, as well as the three years you spent as the Secretary of Agriculture. But I'm curious, what brought you to where you are now? How did you get involved in agriculture? What brought you to Grace Cottage? Well, most most of my uh, life has uh, been centered around agriculture. I grew up on a small hillside farm in rural Vermont, just up the road in Brookline, and, um, <clears throat> and, and spent much of my professional career after my military service in uh, resource economics and agriculture and things related to the land. So it's always bound me to what I think is an essential part of who we are and what we are and what uh, life is all about. Thank you so much. Now, you were just mentioning to us that your master's degree was in fisheries economics. That's right. Uh, for for a while, um, I did some uh, work with Cornell and what was called the Sea Grant Program, working with com- commercial fisheries on resource allocation. And uh, that's not unlike um, the farm sector. It's all about <laughs> resource use. What I love about that, and Roger and I have had these conversations in the past, I think a lot of people, because so many people aren't farmers anymore, they they think of farming as, yes, a lot of work, but you kind of put seeds in the ground and they grow. Or you feed your animals and the chickens lay the eggs and the cows give the milk. And that it really, I think people forget that it is a business and it is about resources and that's just a, a spin that I think we have to remind people it, about. It's about the wise use of resources economically and socially and uh, environmentally. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. 
Emily, you had a question about context and land use and agriculture in in Vermont. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I'm have been thinking a lot as one of the um, well in Wyndham County. I am considered a young person. <laughs> I don't know if I would be if I left the state of Vermont, but here in Wyndham County, I'm considered a young Depends person. Depends on which state you'd go to. Yes, exactly. Um, I'll stay away from Maine. Right. And <laughs> um, the new generation of farmers that I've come into relationship with, um, rather, whether as neighbors or at the farmer's market or, where, you know, um, on my journey as a legislator, and thinking about how different their experience is from some of the farmers who have been farming here for generations, um, how their priorities might be different and what they sh their struggles might be different. And I can't help but um, think of some parallels to how j different the homesteading experience was from people who moved up here in the 70s. Mm. And land was just an entirely different resource then than I think it is now, at least in Wyndham County. And so curious about just some of the history about how farm life and farm economies have changed over the last well, I, I like decades. to tell people what's going on today is a, re a renaissance of the past. Oh. Uh, because what you're seeing today is um, new people doing old things with new technology. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's um, creating um, spirits or drinks or specialty cheeses or other products. Many of these things were produced in the past. Absolutely. And uh, because farms in the past were very diversified. Mm -hmm. uh, even the uh, hillside farm I grew up on, my, my father and uncle had a lumber mill. My grandfather had a small dairy herd, very small. They did sugaring in the spring. We grew our own vegetables. We raised our own meat. So there was a great deal of diversification back then. Oh. And that is actually why I say it's a renaissance of the past mm -hmm. because these things are coming back. Mm -hmm. I think the challenges today are <clears throat> the technology is expensive. Um, the markets are hard to um, sustain uh, because you know what's happening with Amazon and the consolidation taking place in the markets today. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's huge. There was a really interesting um, <coughs> debate on Facebook. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> there was a really interesting <laughs> debate on Facebook about um, turkey prices mm -hmm. in town. Yeah. Um, it was right after Thanksgiving, and it was people talking about the price of turkeys at the co-op versus the price of turkeys at Hannaford's versus... Um, or maybe it was market, 32. It, market 32. I'm never going to remember that price chopper. Mm -mm. I'm going to call it price chopper. Yeah. Um, the price of turkeys there versus on the farm. And the exact same local turkeys were sold in the big grocery store and at the co-op. And the idea of sort of how easy it is for large corporations to sell agricultural products as a loss leader absolutely. and not worry about sort of what happens to the farms. A absolutely. And I don't know if you've... Um, seen but uh, there's been a number of studies done about the consolidation taking place in 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 the whole supply side Absolutely. of agriculture today mm -hmm. from feed to fertilizers to all the input side mm -hmm. a great deal of consolidation that uh, even on the uh, market side um, what there's four or five um, markets that control over 50 percent of the food supply in the U.S. today. Mm -hmm. I think Walmart has 21 or 20 percent. And CNS, just right over the river, yeah, has a huge share of that market. Right, yeah. Yeah. Another privately held company. So it's very hard for people to enter those markets because of the shelf space they require. Um, uh, 
years ago, uh, interestingly, if I can tell this story quickly, um, <clears throat> I was doing some uh, work uh, in, in D.C. at the time on international trade and was working with Zenshu, the Japanese cooperative, mm-hmm. rice cooperative. Mm-hmm. And um, they wanted to bring Japanese rice into the U.S. because under the trade agreement that the U.S. had negotiated back then, uh, they were required in Japan to open their rice market to the U.S. And in Japan, rice is a sacred thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very sacred. It's part of their religion. It's part of their culture. And they didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So they thought the best thing they could do is to bring Japanese rice over to the U.S. Mm. and create a product. And so we were working with a uh, firm in Burlingame, um, California, to make a Pan-Asian rice product. Mm-hmm. And it was a wonderful product. We did testing, blind testing, and we <coughs> took it to a major buyer um, at the time. Um, and... Um, and with actually it's Costco, and uh, the the buyer made it very clear that uh, um, unless they devoted a significant amount of time to change the packages, because they wanted to make sure in Costco that you did sort of hunting, you had to hunt for it, and they didn't want it to compare it to the retail side outside, uh-huh. hmm. and that if that didn't sell, they'd have to take it all back. Well, here was Japan that had fair amount of money to do that but they didn't want to do it for obvious reasons. But you you transpose that into a company that's starting and wants mm-hmm. to get it to the market, it's almost impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's bring this back to land use yeah. in, in mm-hmm. Vermont. And what have you seen, Roger, around how agri- the either the approach to agricultural land, the policy to ag- around agricultural land use, how has that changed well, in your there's, experience? There's been, there's been a great deal of attempt over the years in Vermont to try to provide ways for the farm sector to better sustain themselves. So there's been a lot of what I call externalities that have been addressed beyond the market side. Uh, in terms of lowering the cost for farmers to sustain themselves. Um, a big history of that. Um, current use, 1979, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that the legislature and then Governor Selling, Snelling put in. I was the first consultant to try to put that together. Um, and, and I have a uh, lot of questions about current use, yeah, but I will, yeah. I will wait. And, and the know. purpose of that, of course, was because at that time, and this was 1979, the local towns were basically putting a lot of pressure on the land tax mm-hmm. as opposed to not on the land tax. And so this was a way to reduce that burden on the, on the forestry and farm sector mm-hmm. uh, to do that. Uh, in the mid-'80s, of course, uh, uh, another crisis in, in the farm sector, um, particularly around uh, dairy, mm-hmm. uh, and the House and Conservation Board was created. That was a compromise between the Farm Bureau and the housing sector Hmm. um, at the time. Interesting. uh, uh, Because both had a need, and they came together and recognized that they both could be beneficial. And at that time, the intent was 50% of the revenue from the the tax um, would go to agriculture and 50% to housing. And that has never been fully funded in the history of That's its... That's correct. That's right. 
<laughs> and if it was, we would, I mean, some profoundly beautiful things would right. be happening right now. And, and they've done some mm, wonderful... We would have housing fully funded in Vermont. And they've that done, would have been Yeah, and wow. they've done some wonderful things. A lot of conservation's gone on, hiking trails mm-hmm. and housing. So a lot of things have gone on with that. Uh, you know, in, in, a, in addition to that, of course, we know that uh, in the, when the ski areas were starting... Uh, in Wyndham County, mm-hmm. um, we, you know, we had uh, the the uh, Gibb um, Glebe uh, Arthur Gibb. Oh, Arthur Gibb, yeah, yeah, Arthur Gibb, uh, which was you know Dick Snelling's, at, uh, not Snelling, but the former governor, uh, what's his name, at the time, uh, National Madeline. Life. Uh, Those my mind. Madeline Cunin? No, no, he he was head of National Life. Oh, um, they, oh um, they do an honor for him every year of a business award. Um, yeah, I should know he grew up in Barry. <laughs> uh, Drawing a blank. Yeah, have to do anyhow. So anyway, a former governor did a thing. He did a thing, <laughs> um, and that's when the ski areas were being built, and uh, they created a commission to look at because uh, in Wyndham County, Mount Snow, these uh, some of these areas are being built on very shallow ground. Chimney um, Hill was one of the places he yes, toured. I can't yes, remember Chimney his name, Hill. but I remember this. Yep. <laughs> Chimney Hill, uh, because houses were being built, the sewage was going into the waterways, mm-hmm. so they created this commission to look at what can we do to create some laws that would deal with it. That's where Act 250 came from. Mm-hmm. And uh, under Act 250, of course, you had um, um, priorities, priorities put on prime and statewide ag land. Mm-hmm. In fact, in the ag department, we had to put a value on prime and statewide land every year. So when the House and Conservation Board uh, was involved in setting aside some of the land to purchase, we had to put the value on that. So what are the, some of the factors you would look at to put value on those two we look at, We land? look at uh, re- uh, local sales. What is the economics in mm-hmm. the area? What, what is the selling price in the mm-hmm. area? What is the market in the area so you could have some basis mm-hmm. for that? One, one thing I want to circle back to, Roger, before Emily asks, asks her, her questions. Why is it, as a state, is it a good idea to have, to preserve agricultural land and, and even make it a priority? Well, I, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's always been a, an, an issue. And I think one of the things that... Um, comes up in that discussion. In fact, um, a few months ago, I was asked to write a paper for um, Farm to Plate <laughs> on on the history of, of that subject. And um, so I, I look back a, a long way even to some of the Republican side, look at the, to the Democratic side to see if there was a political issue, and it wasn't. It, it was uh, a joint issue that they looked at that uh, the working landscape, Paul Costello has done some mm-hmm. work on this in the past. Uh, the working landscape, uh, however we define it, is something that 97% of Vermonters want. Hmm. Now they want clean water too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's really interesting, all of it, be- I think it's one issue that's very easy to make nonpartisan because everyone can find their way to it. So mm. right. we know that it has tremendous value for our tourism industry yeah. yes. because it's our, you know, it's our hills. culture. It's, it's our, our, that's our brand. It's our brand. Yeah. It's our culture. It's our things. brand. Yeah. It has tremendous service from a resiliency yeah. perspective. Mm-hmm. So all of the folks who move to Vermont, live in Vermont because it's a place where you can sort of be independent and make it work. You need those farms to yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. Um, in tourism, all yeah. that 
is bound around it in some fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I used to say to people in, uh, in the ski association, why is it that you have a poster that has Vermont Farms on it? <laughs> <laughs> and Vermont Life magazine yeah. used to be, you know, used to be when it existed mm-hmm. at any time, all farms. It was yeah. a it was a marketing thing for Vermont, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. working landscape, mm-hmm. the cows in the field, although we don't have many in the field anymore. Well, and I think uh, it's really, when I talk to people who are farming now, it's really interesting how when you think about sort of the mix of services that they need to offer to make it work and whether that's the value-added right. farm products that are leaving the farm, yep. you know, say like cheese, yep. or the agritourism piece of it where mm-hmm. they're bringing people onto the farm whether that's for sort of you know someone from brooklyn coming up to learn yep. how to slaughter a pig or and, b- and, by, the, and by the way that was a first endeavor that was taken on in the 1890s by what was called the board of agriculture vermont was to bring people to the farm to have that experience really yeah. no way oh, that's yeah. amazing um and i talked to farmers who are doing that and they're <laughs> grateful for it and they go into farming I mean, the only reason you go into farming is because you love it. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And they really, truly in their hearts want people to learn about this. But the actual experience of being on a farm is, you know, it's smelly, it's dirty, it's messy. It's not, it usually doesn't involve actual picket fences. Right. Right. And so that dissonance between our imagined bucolic farm Vermont and the actual life and noise and mess and dirt and death of a farm I think is um, gonna in, is an interesting one to reconcile it's, it's, as we go yeah, along. Yeah, because it's it's mm-hmm. very it's very romantic for people who didn't grow up on a farm yes. to say, well, this must be wonderful. You come in, you uh, you see the family, you have the cows out there, you can see the uh, animals in the field eating. They don't see well. You got to shovel the manure. Mm-hmm. You got to clean the stalls. You I have a do. I have a dear friend who yeah. runs a very robust. Um, bed and breakfast business on her dairy yeah. farm and I keep on I haven't visited since she really built it out because she lives way up um, north of St. Albans yeah. but I've been trying to figure out like doesn't it like kind of smell in the guest cottages mm-hmm. and like aren't there fly like I visited her house and I yeah. love her but like you know it's definitely life on a farm it's not mm-hmm. yep. one of it talking about tourism and and farming one of my memories from mm, high school is so my my grandfather was a dairy farmer and he came to visit me at work once and I was working at a gift shop in Wilmington and um he wasn't wearing wearing his barn clothes but you know a farmer is a farmer and um after he left the owner kind of said you know I know he's your grandfather but if he wouldn't come back you know because we don't want the tourists oh, oh kind of having to see and smell and all those things and I just I found that fascinating because while Vermont's making a brand off it as you said the reality is so different. Well there's been a lot of pushback even when I was in Montpelier from sometimes you'd get some complaints by people saying well I you know the, the neighbor spread manure and I can smell it <laughs> and uh, we're yep. having a weekend wedding and mm-hmm. can he not do it then or the sawmill makes too yeah. much noise too whatever much noise. right whatever mm-hmm. it is and um I think that tourism is really what sustains so much of Vermont's economy and right. so what a transition would look like that didn't have that sort of Right. Cognitive dissonance. I I wish I could imagine yeah. it, but I can't. Mm-hmm. So um, speaking of that, current use. Yes. Um, 
one thing I've noticed, at least in um, my district and I think in other parts of Wyndham County, I think current use is um, sometimes a really incredible tool for farmers to be able to afford the taxes on their land. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's a way for folks to have a second home with vast acreage that um, they're not paying full taxes on. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to figure out and often land that's posted that, that has been used that's, for generations that's, that's, by locals. Absolutely. That's been a debate for a number of years. Yeah. So, like, help me through that because I'm new to the debate, debate and uh, I... I've, I've always felt, and although I uh, probably wasn't popular in saying that, I think that people who are in current use, their land should be open to public use, but with permission. I mean, you don't, you mm -hmm. want to know who's on the land. Mm -hmm. Well, you don't want someone walking you into a, a field with a bull, absolutely. necessarily. So, <laughs> and, and likewise, with uh, purchase development rights, uh, I always used to say that there should be a provision there that the public has access with permission mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. any land that's purchased in that. It's public mm -hmm. funds. I yeah. absolutely agree. Public funds. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, there's been a lot of pushback on yeah. yours on that, yeah. as you well know. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, it's Still. been it's been a fun little you know first session of the legislature. I'm like, oh, look at the hornet's nest I poked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good yeah. job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is something no one agrees with. Yeah, me. interesting. And, and in fact, if you want to take it further, because we've been some of us have been looking at this, uh, studying the dairy side for pretty in depth over two years more in depth even though I have a lot of background in there um, and not just dairy but if you want to take it further you should I think this is where you can tie things together I, I mentioned water quality is a big mm -hmm. thing and um, we're not we're not where some other parts of the world are we're yes. way behind uh, New Zealand with Lake Topo and uh, the Netherlands with uh, what they're doing there with whole farm nutrient management planning um, I was actually surprised to hear yesterday we had an all-day um, joint legislative briefing, yeah. and we um, Julie Moore came yeah, to talk yeah, to us about yeah, yeah. clean water for quite a yeah. while, and I was surprised that we are um, doing worse than some other neighbors mm -hmm. of ours in yeah. other states, not just, you know. And that's why. The I, Netherlands is always doing better than us at everything. Well, yeah. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and we presented our findings to Julie okay. and also to Anson Tebbets. But, uh, you know, one of the things that if you, if you really want to be creative, I think, and we've recommended that these programs like current use and like purchase development rights and these programs should be tied together in a way that they have requirements that have to be met for mm -hmm. participation in these programs. That makes it's a lot public, of sense. It's yeah, it's public money. money. It's yeah. public money. That's one of yeah. the major themes that Olga and I have come back to over and over and over over the last few months is that if it's public funds, where is the accountability That's towards correct. public priorities yeah. there? Whether that is yeah. I, I, contracted services, yeah, grants. I, um, yeah, I, it's interesting. Uh, we we have a uh, rural credit program that was put in through the, actually it started out in the Ag Agency years ago, or Ag Department, but now it's uh, in, the, in VITA, uh, Vermont Economic Development mm -hmm. Authority, and it's the Ag Lending Program. And... Uh, and I said to them a couple of years ago, you know, um, I know the lending side fairly well. I said, you should have provisions in there that require that farmers um, meet these conditions for a loan to be made because it's a subsidized loan. It doesn't have to be onerous. 
It can mm-hmm. be done in a way that. So, what would those provisions look like? Well, for example, that uh, you, 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 you could say that, you know, uh, on water quality, you have to have a whole farm nutrient management plan. Mm-hmm. We're already putting money into the helping farmers develop those plants. Mm-hmm. Um, that, um, you know, makes the nutrients uh, on the field uh, well used, and you're not putting excess nitrogen or phosphorus in the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, you could have provisions in terms of uh, farmers meeting conditions at some stage, and I think it's going to take a lot of work uh, of doing echo services, mm-hmm. but that's mm-hmm. going to take a lot more work. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. all those things, these things have to be tied mm-hmm. together because right now they're just pieces here, pieces mm-hmm. there, and pieces there. Olga, we were talking about ecosystem services before you, payment for ecosystem services, I think, before you got here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been the Gund Institute in at UVM and then a few other places around the country and world have something I don't know if you've heard about. No, I haven't. And I'd love it for the listeners. I'd love yeah. a quick definition of well, what it's, that it's, is. It's basically saying that uh, the farm, uh, the farm and farm community are doing a lot for keeping things going. Biodiversity, biodiversity, mm-hmm. carbon, carbon sequestration, all those things. Um, biodiversity of the animals and birds and everything else, carbon sequestration and soil and all those things. And there needs to be a way to pay for that being done. Mm-hmm. So the same way um, we are developing a lot of services to make sure that people who are making the most ecological choice around driving or heating yeah. or whatever are compensated yeah. for that. Yeah. Right. Um, the yeah. Uh, Farms and natural resources have a lot of opportunities to sequester carbon, which is just as, and in some cases, more important than preventing carbon release. And Mm -hmm. so making sure that we're incentivizing that as well. Years ago, I guess I aged myself, but years ago I was on a National Geographic uh, study of non-point source pollution in the mid-90s. And um, one of the things that we recommended out of that study group was what I call uh, incentives. Um, for example, that if a farmer gets a loan, that if he's complying with all these provisions of clean water and clean soil and soil carbon, that maybe they could get 50 base points or something off the loan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those kind of, like yeah, we do with health insurance, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely. seat belts or those mm-hmm. things. So the, you put it on a positive Or the approach. way we buy down risk for absolutely. insurance. So right. it's on a positive approach mm-hmm. instead of uh, a negative approach. Thank you. That that is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, and and bringing it back to land use, I know this this isn't necessarily community land use, as far as being able to walk on the land or use the land. But that idea of farming and farming land as part of the common good mm-hmm. um, seems to be important to our culture. I think it's very, a very important policy priority. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of, I think, why so many people can agree on it in the legislature. So some of it is sort of that this is part of Vermont's essential character and we need to make sure that we uh, will always protect Vermonters who want to do this. And then there's the, we need to grow the food that we need to eat. Right. right? That's right. As best we can. As best we can. As best we can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, if you look at the history of changes in food, um, it, it's interesting. The old timers who had seen the loss, we were, you know, we, we were the um, 
merino sheep mm-hmm. yes. capital of the world up until about 1840. With yeah. no trees. With no trees. Well, yep. that wasn't good. All the trees have been yeah. cut. Although it's one reason they, we have so many sugar maples now. Well, <laughs> we warmed up the uh, land. <laughs> but we were the sheep capital of the world when William Jarvis brought in sheep from Spain when Napoleon invaded Spain. Mm-hmm. We had more sheep than people. Um, you know, we, we lost that. That disappeared when the tariff was eliminated in about 1840. Mm. Uh, and then we became the butter capital of the world. St. Albans was considered the butter capital of the world. No way. Did not know that. Uh, yep. Huh. And uh, won prizes in Europe for having the best butter. Just said we'd won prizes for the best fleece on sheep. Before. We still actually win butter prizes, I think, right? Um, well, we win cheese prizes. I know we win cheese prizes, we, but the I think one of our butters won a prize a couple of years ago. Mm. Yeah, I think the the woman down in Middlebury area mm-hmm. has developed the best butter. Um, but butter, and uh, then you know um, other products over time. Now cheeses, as you said, mm-hmm. uh, world uh, Jasper Hill and others, mm-hmm. Cabot, others uh, mm-hmm. world cheeses. But <coughs> the old timers. Soon it'll see. be um, cannabis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you yeah, know, I, I, I did say to people who are doing hemp, and by the way, I did grow two cannabis plants. <laughs> Me uh, too, and um, I was not very good at it. Because I took a course in making the oil, so mm. making that. But uh, anyhow, the people who had seen the demise of the sheep industry and uh, then the demise of the being the butter capital because we couldn't compete anymore, said, you know, Vermont's future is never competing with the West on a commodity basis. We can never win on a commodity basis. Hmm. Our specialty in Vermont is doing those products that the growing markets in the Northeast will want. And they'll always take constant study, mm-hmm. constant investment, mm-hmm. and constant marketing savvy. That's um, one of our... The, another one of our themes over the course of the last few months has been Vermont's never going to win a race to the bottom. Never. Because you have to be at the bottom. The mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at... Even we at don't the, have the scale to do it well. We no. don't have the scale. Even if you look at the dairy industry, and uh, they're not happy with what I say because I, <laughs> I analyzed it. Um, but, you know, up until uh, about the early 2000 period, uh, the dairy industry, which has a very elaborate pricing system that goes back to... Uh, 1937 <laughs> and is complicated um, and shouldn't exist um, but the dairy industry can't compete on the world market mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you have to be the lowest cost producer in the world mm-hmm. and we can't compete in Vermont on that basis. So right. what can we do in Vermont to make sure that our dairy farmers are living and working with dignity, um, yep. that they're caring for their land as yep. well as they're caring for their cows? Yep. What does I, that look like? I, I, I think... Does we, everyone we, have to become a cheesemaker? No, no, but we ought to be doing a lot of uh, work in encouraging new product development, new mm-hmm. product research. There's an outfit in New York called OATKA, O-A-T-K-A. And I used to say when I was in Montpelier, I said, even to the dairy co-ops, I said, we should be doing what they're doing. They're developing every kind of product from milk um, and milk products. Um, you know, years ago, we had the uh, Artisanal Cheese Institute at UVM. Mm-hmm. That's Before, not there anymore? What's that? That's not there anymore? No. Oh. No. Uh, b- Before that, we had the Northeast Dairy Research Center uh, that was Cornell UVM institution oh, yeah, that yeah. was doing that. Yep. That was eliminated because of the politics of the dairy industry nationally who didn't want Vermont to 
do it by themselves <laughs> with Cornell. There is a beer institute at UVM now, though, right? Uh, they're doing some beer research. Okay. Yep. But those kind of things need to happen, you know, where you can use some institutional ability to really be on the cutting edge of developing new products and mm -hmm. marketing those products. The problem is it takes money, mm -hmm. it takes marketing savvy, mm -hmm. and it takes the ability to put it together. And training, you know, like training, real hands-on mm -hmm. training. Yeah. And, you know, farmers often can't travel to, one uh, to another end of the state. And we don't really have the extension system that we once did to nope. support farmers to learn those skills locally. No, nope. no. Nope. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, in Montpelier, they think that Southern Vermont's White River in Rutland. Yeah. Oh, oh I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're in Massachusetts. Yes, Did right. you know yeah. that? Well, yeah. I mean, and honestly, you know, it is it is pretty warm down here, mm -hmm. except yeah. for today. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about this idea of the intergenerational farm. And um, when I think about what you were saying about value-added products and learning new things and all those skills, I think about how much matchmaking is required to yes. do that work mm -hmm. well. And I think it's a similar struggle we're having right now to new farmers who might not have even grown up in Vermont who really want to find land to farm. And we have farmers who are ready to leave the industry because mm -hmm. their children don't want to farm. And I know there are matchmaking programs, but they don't seem to be, it doesn't seem to be enough. Like what, what's missing there so we can make sure that our land stays well, I, I, there are matchmaking programs because they were put together, you know, VHCB, mm -hmm. from the House and Conservation Board, and uh, the Land Trust and others have put those programs together in extension over time uh, that exist. I'm not up on how they're working now, but, uh, you know, many times the... We have the, a lot more um, people looking for land than people offering land. Offering, mm -hmm. many, many times what's missing is uh, the ability to bring the capital together mm -hmm. um, because it takes capital. Yeah, it takes, uh, and uh, also the relationship, mm -hmm. um, and, and and the issue there needs to be some training beforehand because somebody just can't come out of New York City, even though Howard did up in Westminster, right? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, he just went straight on in on that. I didn't realize that. Well, no, much. he kind of mentored with well, a with an existing yeah. farmer, didn't he? Well. I don't know. I kn yeah, he did. did he, he he worked at worked at some local farms before he then bought the farm from uh, and okay. someone I who think was retiring. Wild Carrot here in Brattleboro has done a really interesting yes, thing. They've the been really living on the Bailey's farm yeah. and sharing that property yeah. for yeah. it's been almost a decade. Yeah, because they used to be up in Brookline. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. So on that note, we need to go to break, but um, we shall return momentarily, and. Um, share more thoughts on on land use and farming in we are back this is the montpelier happy hour here on wvew lp brattleboro 107.7 fm i am your host olga peters and i am speaking today with regular contributor <coughs> emily kornheiser and our guest uh, Roger Albee, who people may know as the former CEO of Grace Cottage Hospital, and before that, the Secretary of Agriculture for the state of Vermont. Welcome back, guys. Thanks, Olga. It was a fun break in it, this incredibly cold room. I know. I, I swear, someone left a window open. Maybe Daniel's listening, and he'll fix it from the time. <laughs> um, 
Let's pivot a little bit. We've been talking about land use and agriculture. And one of the big things that comes up around land use in general in Vermont, uh, but also with agriculture, is Act 250. Everyone's least favorite act. (laughs) Everyone's least favorite. And yet... Yes. um, So important. So important. For the shape of Vermont as it is now. So, Roger... The state is in the process of kind of taking another look at Act 250. What are your thoughts on how it, Act 250 and how it pertains to land use, either agricultural land use or land use in general? Well, over, over time, Act 250 has you know, been, been very instrumental in a lot of things. I mean, uh, on the ag side, I think I mentioned that uh, one of the things that was done in the beginning of Act 250 was to say, prime and statewide soils were very important mm-hmm. because they recognize you can't replace those no, you can't. easily. Uh, they exist and they need to exist if you're going to have a production uh, of agriculture in the state going forward. So that was a very critical element of it. It's it's interesting when <clears throat> when um, I was doing the Montpelier thing, uh, I got a call from uh, the young man who uh, wanted to start Commonwealth Yogurt. Huh. And um, the Ag Commissioner in Massachusetts called me and said, by the way, I've got this young man in the office and he wants to start a yogurt plant. Uh, can he talk to you? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> 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 and um, he, he called up Tom Moffat. You may remember him. Mm-hmm. And he called up and he said, well, he said, we're looking to start a yogurt plant. And um, we're looking at Wisconsin. We're looking at Massachusetts. We're looking at other states, including Vermont. Why should we come to Vermont? And I said, well, I can answer that pretty quickly. I said, uh, we're near major markets. We've got New York, Boston, Hartford, all these markets nearby. Mm-hmm. We've got a great interstate system. Uh, we've got the Vermont brand. At least I thought we did. <laughs> and uh, I said, we can get you the milk supply. And mm-hmm. finally, we can make it happen. And... Um, and we did. And after it got built, um, they had a session where we all sat down who helped bring it here. And uh, he, and I remember clearly, and it relates to Act 250, because he said, you know, it's interesting. He said the other states that we were looking at, Wisconsin and others, had one-stop shopping. Yeah. One-stop shopping. Hmm. They dealt with permits. They dealt mm-hmm. with financing. They dealt with everything. He said in Vermont, you had to go through all mm-hmm. different layers of bureaucracy. I saw a map, um, a process map yeah. recently in last year in the committee of um, that commerce had done um, in partnership with someone else of all of the all the steps, all of the steps in all of the different departments and what it looks like. And it wasn't when I say process map, I was more of a Jackson Pollock kind <laughs> of painting and less yeah. of a map. Yeah. Um, but it was it's extraordinary. The layers and layers upon process we have added. Especially given how small a state we are. Yes. Yeah. And he said, um, luckily, you all, all of us, and just me, helped put it together. But he said, the other states, we didn't have that layer. They had one-stop shopping that we could have gone to. Obviously, you made it, so it worked here. Because we have sheer force of personality. I guess. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right? It's yeah. a small right. state, so yeah. if someone really everyone has the will to make something happen, you can call all yeah. those different offices right. and interfere knows. first, intervene, yeah. sorry, mm-hmm. intervene. excuse me, intervene for someone. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah, the linear process is not linear. 
Right. So it sounds like that's um, now. But that's that's always been identified as uh, something that should be addressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's not a yeah. new issue. Yeah. So how yeah. does Act Two Fifty help, <clears throat> or how has it helped? We've we saved the prime land. We've saved the prime and statewide soils. We've had mm-hmm. a process that uh, has you know we're we're not, we're not like I shouldn't say some areas of the world that I've lived in where we're not like. Um, New Hampshire? Connecticut or New Hampshire. <laughs> or New Hampshire. Southern New Hampshire, yeah. Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, we have a process. We have a way of identifying priorities. Um, I guess one of the things that always comes back to people, though, is is it so bureaucratic that you have a hard job navigating mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's been interesting to me as I um, talk to people about it is I know that one of the pieces of Act 250 that becomes very expensive and problematic for folks is the public participation yeah, aspect. Yeah, I hear from and, businesses on that a right? lot. And, that, yeah. and I understand where they're coming from, that it, you know, it isn't, um, you can't quite depend or predict. It's unpredictable what's going to yeah. happen with public participation. Yeah. And then at the same time, I think about that I'm uncomfortable philosophically with the idea that just because someone has a lot of money and shows up somewhere they should make be able to make vast decisions about how land is used in that community without a public participation process Mm -hmm. right and so i think in some ways it um rebalances the scales of in a society where we often don't think about land as a public good but there must be a tidier way, tidier way to do public participation. That's a ridiculous thing to say. Um, uh, well, there must be. I think you know. I, I, I think public participation is important. <laughs> yeah, that's the basis of what we believe in. I yeah, think absolutely. Some of us in Vermont. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's why we have town meetings and mm-hmm. all these venues that have been key to our existence over a long period of time. Um, you know, how how it can be done in a more streamlined way. Um, um, in how you can do it in a way that doesn't require that you have a heck of a lot of money to participate yeah. mm-hmm. uh, in the process because it's hard to participate if you don't have money mm-hmm. in the process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All those issues. <coughs> so what benefit is Act 250 still bringing in terms of how we are maintaining our land use patterns? Well, I, I has there been a study? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, there have been many studies, but I'm curious Recently, about your perspective as someone well, who's watching I, it all. Well, I, I, I would say that Ag 250 uh, has been a key part of making Vermont what Vermont is mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Uh, having said that, I always feel that programs should be reviewed, mm-hmm. and they should be reviewed in a way that doesn't require somebody to have a... Um, I, I think there needs to be, on some of these programs, an independent review. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the legislature many times doesn't have that independence. No, I mean, I think we have staff who have that independence, but we shape the questions that That's are asked correct. often yeah. in a mm-hmm. study. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I <coughs> I think ideally our government processes, whether it's act regulation around Act 250 or any other regulation, it should be set up in such a way or that it can be navigated by someone without hiring a team Absolutely. of attorneys, right? That's, that is the mm-hmm. essence of yep. access to government. Absolutely. You don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have to hire a high-powered lawyer mm-hmm. to have uh, the ability to deal mm-hmm. or play. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I suppose, too, the question with Act 250 is I'm, I'm always fascinated in intent 
and 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 vision and and like what spurred something into being. Yes. And so we had the original intent of Act Two Fifty, mm-hmm. um, which in some ways was. I don't want to say a panicked reaction, but a very definite reaction to stop something negative that was happening, such as um, development. Sewage, sewage going into the waterways. Sewage going into the waterways. Mm-hmm. Um, my question would be now is, is that intent still relevant? Mm-hmm. Or do we need a new kind of vision or intent for Act 250? Because I think at well, its I, core... I guess, I guess it gets back it, to the basis, the basis question that perhaps uh, Arthur Gibb and the hearings they had asked back then. Mm-hmm. What do Vermonters want for the future of the state? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but I think Vermonters want um, to continue to have awe-inspiring landscapes yeah. and working landscapes. And I think Vermonters really want somewhere to live. Yep. And mm. we have a profound housing shortage. Yep. And so I want to make sure that we're, um, that as we've sort of band-aided and layered and fixed things, that we haven't created bureaucracies yep. that are too big for people to navigate. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, d- do we have a plan for the state for the future? Mm-hmm. And that was a fun conversation that I think we <laughs> had before we were on mic too, <laughs> yes. which is that, you know, that this biennium planning, you know, reaction Upon reaction, band-aid upon band-aid. Apparently, there used to be a state planning office. I did. Yeah, tell us about that. Well, it existed for many years. What uh, magic did they make? Well, they they had the ability um, to, because uh, I remember the people who worked there, they had the ability to um, look beyond one administration and look to the next and the next after it. So they had, mm-hmm. you know, they they had a history of what what were the key things that existed for the future that crossed the politics mm-hmm. every administration. They could be looking into the future. They could be looking at trends. They could be looking at what's happening and what are the issues that need to be dealt with. You know, t- today, you know, um, there isn't that continuum mm-hmm. that exists. Which is fascinating for me because Emily and I have talked a lot about how Vermont needs its own uh, state plan or vision, mm-hmm. vision document. Yeah. And we we joke, but yet as a reporter who's been covering Brad, Brattleboro for about 10 years, I have seen a marked difference in how the town operates, the municipality operates, now that it has put into place long-term planning mm-hmm. around its budget. The The budget discussions are far less dramatic than they used to be. Mm-hmm. And, and the capital plan is far less dramatic and up and down than it used to be. And so, to a certain extent, in my experience at least, is the tax rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can, there are definite benefits to this long-term mm-hmm. planning. And I think particularly when we think about land use, um, whether that's land use for just the eye to feast upon or it's land use um, you know to feed us and to sustain us I've become fairly obsessed with this idea of generational time Mm -hmm. and that you know looking at time between um, the definition that I heard that it's really been sticking with me um, the birth date of the oldest person you ever remember holding you and the death date of the youngest person you've ever held Mm. And when I think about land use, especially my experience of land, I grew up in a very suburban place, which was entirely disconnected from its own context. Um, 
But since I've been here and I think about how important history is to people's experience of the land, Mm -hmm. that becomes so clear to me. The way the land is used is very much defined by people's memory of their parents using that land space. I remember when 911 was first coming in and addresses were required. The incredible, (laughs) like it was the beautiful debates about street names and memories and how we give directions based on things that were once there and are absolutely not there anymore and the signs even been gone for 20 years and so that history bringing that history to planning is just as important to think about how will our children need to use this land with the lives that they're going to be living and how many of them there will be even to use this land mm-hmm. during our our break i I was checking checking some technical things, but I think I overheard you, Roger, say, you know, one of the things around land use and agriculture in general in the legislature is that everything's broken up in different committees and you don't have one, I'm going to say single vision, but I'm not quite sure the language you used. Well, it's... It's cut up by committees for mm-hmm. different purposes, but many times these issues cross so many committees, they really ought to be dealt with in a broader way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm. I think Emily and I have talked about that. How do we get well, something that requires so I many levers to let me, let me give you an example. Uh, the dairy industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you look at the dairy industry, where, where would you think that they would be really dealing with dairy issues? Well, the House Ag Committee and the Senate Ag Committee. Mm-hmm. But those issues are much broader. They, there are uh, huge issues of huge. commerce, you know. Water quality, commerce, yes. economic development. Health. Health, yeah. Yeah, all those things. Yeah. Absolutely. And so sometimes we have joint hearings um, or joint committee discussions. Mm-hmm. But that has to be, it's usually about a very, very specific issue that we would be focusing on. So, Emily, are you aware that in our, these quote-unquote off-session conversations, we just keep coming up with ways of how we need to change Montpelier? Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. The list might be getting a little too long for one lifetime. I might need to find a, f- a few more people in on this project with me. Maybe you'd like to run for office, Olga. <laughs> I'll think about it. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, we only you have... Know, it's, it's interesting. I, 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 I do a, a bit on ag history mm-hmm. uh, going way back. And I'm just doing a piece now, um, putting it together. I, my wife's sort of commenting on it and telling me that I need to change some things. But it's it's basically coming out of the New Deal mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at that period. And what took place in the New Deal? And why did it happen? And what were the influences behind it? And mm-hmm. were there Vermonters involved that should have <laughs> been involved? And one of the things that was uh, looked at very significantly and I'm not somebody that wears religion on my shirt sleeve by any means was the country churches mm-hmm. they thought that country churches could be the vehicle to change rural America back mm-hmm. then. and I think now we are having so many conversations as a state about how country schools are the things that are going to cha- yes. save yeah. our state and you yeah. know we're calling them community schools mm-hmm. but it's essentially country schools yep. Yep. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So we have just about two minutes left before we have to sign off here. I just wanted to check, Emily, any other questions or Roger, any other points you want to 
you want to bring? No, I, um, I, I'm, I'm glad Emily's up there um, trying to address these things. I do think there's a need to have a plan for what the future of Vermont and what the population really sees that they want to be some of the driving issues, whether it's housing or ag or land use or, mm-hmm. or, or having a sense of why uh, some things need to be changed to encompass what these needs are in the long term. Thank you. Thank you. I think instead of um, you becoming state auditor someday, maybe just the head of the state planning office. That would be so fun. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We'll have to create it first. Um, No self-interest on that plan. (laughs) The generational time idea around planning is very important to me. That certainly um, should be what I end with. But we had just a very brief conversation about how few farmers are left in the legislature. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's an interesting piece of the larger puzzle of us remembering how different our representatives are from our demographic reality mm-hmm. and someday having a deeper conversation mm-hmm. about what the forces are that make that happen. Um, how few of us are working jobs through the session, how few of us are farmers, you know, just continuing on really focusing on what the demographics of our, of our representation looks like compared to the demographics of our state. My um, grandfather was a representative up there. That's when every town had a representative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, they only meet, used to meet once every two years. Oh, yeah. interesting. And there are still a couple states that do that, I think. Yes. Yeah. Well, Nebraska oh. only has one body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's the way to go. I'm just no, saying no, no. I know it's. I I love the evolution and how different each state's yeah. system is. It's very yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what 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 we've created mm-hmm. to yeah. in this thing we call democracy, mm-hmm. this yeah. working exper- experiment yeah. we call democracy. We thank still have town, we still have town meetings. Though. We do. <laughs> and thank you for just a really incredibly well, interesting you. conversation, both content and context and history and idea yeah me too yes thank you roger for for being here today for all of those we out there in radio land we are going to sign off i'm your host olga peters i want to thank emily kornheiser and roger albay for being on the montpelier happy hour today as always you can hear us live at 2 p.m on friday on wvewlp brattleboro 107.7 fm or find us on the vermontitude soundcloud page the Vermontitude Facebook page, and as always, Emily, how can people find you? EmilyKornheiser.org, EmilyKornheiser at Gmail, eKornheiser at ledge.state.vt.us. You can also find me as Emily Kornheiser on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. My office hours are every Saturday, except for this one, at 11 a.m. in the Co-op Cafe, where I will be drinking tea. (laughs) Or you can just stop me on the street anytime. Thanks, everyone. Have a wonderful Friday.